From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in storied Multiple Choice Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. On this, our first co-op recap episode, we've invited game maker and developer Adia Alderson to talk about this month's glitch co-op talk topic, interactive fiction. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Guys, new format. Yeah. Show. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting. <laughs> right. So uh, we uh, the, the, a little bit different from our normal interview episodes. We're going to talk about uh, the uh, topic from Glitch's co-op talk. Martha, what is Glitch's co-op talk? Glitch's co-op talk is a event that happens once a month at Glitch. Uh, a facilitator picks a topic. Um, like this month was interactive fiction. We've had ones about... Racing games. We've had one about bunch of random bunch topics. Of other topics, <laughs> yeah. and really interesting. Some heavy topics, some lighter topics. Yeah. So all different types of topics. It's whoever facilitates gets to pick what the topic is. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of so it's a discussion, and the facilitator kind of uh, uh, asks questions and draws things out from people, and then at the end. Uh, everyone writes down an idea for a topic and puts it in a cup, and then whoever is the next facilitator pulls uh, whichever one they want. And that next facilitator could be you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If you come to uh, Glitch on Co-op Talk Nights and are the next facilitator, we invite you onto the show mm-hmm. for these special episodes, the Co-op Recap. So now that we've explained it, Oh, what what day is that normally? Co-op talk. We it's on Thursdays. What Thursday of the week? What is today? I don't even. Know. I think it's the third Thursday. Right. Yes. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes uh, so you got some more details. You also find out what next month's topic is, so you can come and uh, and chat. It's pretty casual, mm-hmm. and it's an awful lot of fun. It's actually it's a little bit of how we do the topics on this show, um, sort of roundtable-y kind of format, and yeah. so it's a, it's a bit of inspiration as well. Um, okay, so now that we've explained it relatively thoroughly. Uh, let's introduce our guest and this month's co-op facilitator. Adia, tell us about yourself. Uh, so my name is Adia Alderson, and I love narratives, especially when they're in games. And so um, I decided to host the co-op talk this time with interactive fiction and interactive narratives. So um, in that frame, I'm a big Bioware fan, Telltale Games, and the whole gamut. But I've also started getting to parser games and um, a lot of the new uh, tools and using them to make uh, kind of like interactive narrative games like mm-hmm. Twine and Ink and Inform 7 and Quest and um, the whole gamut of them. And my goal is to make as many narrative games in many engines. Because <laughs> 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 uh, I love to tell stories. Like mm-hmm. That's what makes me really excited is that I'm creating a world and experience for other people. And that's deeply satisfying for me. And uh, recently, I actually had people play my game, and watching them play that was actually a great experience. Right, right, Stephen. You and we've all talked about like what it is to watch someone play your your game. Yeah, and and actually seeing you do it for like the you know the first times, like getting it out there, like it's like oh yeah, that's that's what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we just got finished with the co op talk. We had a nice attendance, um, and it was a pretty wide ranging discussion. Do you want to sort of give us the intro because it was really well you described the sort of two main types of interactive fiction for people who might not be familiar with the genre. Yeah, sure. So um, normally um, when people talk of interactive fiction now, it kind of runs the gamut where you have the uh, text-based games or parser games. You have kind of the choose-your-own-adventure style where you have a bunch of text, and then below you have maybe three or four choices that you choose, and that kind of moves the game along. If you play Twine games, they kind of follow a similar format. 
Uh, you also have uh, visual novels where it's similar to the Choose Your Own Adventure, but it has, you know, the more graphic elements with pictures and um, music and sound and stuff like that. Um, but originally, when people talked about interactive fiction, it was strictly just parser, text-based games. Mm -hmm. And when the other genres come out, uh, you'll see a new term called interactive narrative to kind of describe the new things coming about. Um, and a lot of companies are kind of um, bringing the genre to light, especially the Choose Your Own Adventure, because it's easy to play on the web and on mobile, which makes it uh, popular. It's harder to kind of type um, on text adventures. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the, the genres that you see uh, mostly. And for uh, people who um, haven't played text or parsers, it's basically you get um, a bit of the story and you type or input what you want to do next. So go south, pick up a flask. Um, get e flask. <laughs> <laughs> Not get e flask. <laughs> exactly. For all you uh, strong bad fans out there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's essentially kind of um, a gist of it. What's... Interesting is that there's the types of genres, but also like all game indie games these days, is the tools are more available yes. as well, right? Yeah. And you've been exploring those like backwards and forwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What have you learned? <laughs> okay, so um, it depends on whether uh, if you're a programmer or a non-programmer, kind of how you tackle these. So um, right now for the game that I'm making currently, I'm using uh, Ink as a scripting language. Uh, it has a lot of beautiful ways to create branching and like varying dialogue with a lot of kind of like uh, um, how they do choices. You can have nodes that you can call back to, store variables, do functions. Uh, I, I like to call it, you know, beautiful markdown for <laughs> <laughs> writing a choose your own adventure. Uh, choice Script Games does a similar model where you have basically like a script or kind of coding language that you do. But um, I feel like theirs is a lot more accessible for the non-programmer because it's it may not have the same flexibility of ink, but I've seen people do amazing things with it, even with the simplicity that it gives. Now, um, if you want to do more kind of like um, websites or hyperlink things, a Twine kind of fulfills that thing. Mm -hmm. It has that same kind of choose your own adventure, but it uses hyperlinks to tell the story and it changes depending on what you click on. So imagine a click and point and narrative book mashed together and you get Twine. And it's another one that for a lot of non-programmers is easy to jump on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. But like for those who, you know, have delved into the web development sphere and um, beyond, you can do some pretty amazing things with it. I've seen some that have, you know, uh, entire, uh, entire like worlds and maps and images and music that go with it. Um, but if you're into parsers, you can use uh, Inform7. And for me as a programmer, the way that's coded blew my mind. <laughs> so for me, I'm lacking functions and variables and loops, and like that makes sense to me. You literally write out and describe things, and the Inform engine creates it. For example, if you write the sentence, um, there's a room, uh, the room is, you know, a chamber, and in the chamber there is a throne and a stone and a chest. And then you run it, the engine reads that sentence, creates a room called chamber, and puts those items in it. So if someone in the uh, plays your game, and that's all, that literally that's the only line you have left, they still have things they can interact with. They can look, mm -hmm. and then it'll say, well, these three things are in the room. And then if you add, like, descriptions, you can say, the chest is big, there's this inside it. And then when they just type in examine chest, those things will be read back to you. So literally, you're writing a story while slowly creating a world as well. And I, <laughs> I, wrapping my head around that has been difficult, but I've been messing with it a bit here and there. 
Yeah, that reminds me a little bit of um, the Mist Ages. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that—that's the that's supposedly how those were written. It's just longhand. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is Mist Ages? So in Mist, the the you travel from world to world by putting your palm on a page in a book, right? Mm-hmm. And you just get sucked into the world that is described in the book. And in the fiction of Mist, you uh, the the authors would they'd write the worlds. Um, and there was actually this interesting fiction about like. The, the characters in the game were not sure if they were creating the world or just psychically describing a world that already existed. Oh. And then by virtue of that, you would actually be able to travel to... It, it's a very charming fiction. Yeah. It sounds a little <laughs> sounds bit like this cool. engine where you, you write it and it's made so. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, what kind of interactive fictions have we all played? I'm curious about that. I mean, I haven't played quite or that many. I've played a Diaz game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the best. <laughs> Like to to for the record here on Nice Games Club, you're not really a narrative guy that's, in games. That's right? true. So you so kind of need my... to be dragged into a little bit. Yeah. Your, your perspective is very interesting. Yeah. Well, as a result, I guess. Um. So I've I, I mean I haven't played that many, but the ones I do, I'm generally very objective focused when I play them. Mm-hmm. So if if the game gives me an objective, I'm focused on that. Yeah. I don't really want to just explore the world just to explore it because mm-hmm. the game has given me a goal, and so I try to achieve that goal. Um, there's this, what was that game called? With Grunk. The, Grunk. Oh. <laughs> no, Grunk's the character. It's yeah. called The Lost Pig. There you go, The Lost yes. Pig. So um, you play as Grunk's Grunk. Lament. Yeah. <laughs> you play as Grunk. He's this orc guy, and he has to find a pig that he let out accidentally. Uh, he loses him in the forest. Yeah. Uh, you have a torch. So the first thing I decided to do was burn the whole forest down to find the pig. As you do. Yeah, right. That's what you do. Yeah. I ended up getting the pig. Yeah, amazing the game. <laughs> actually registered that, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I ended up getting the pig. And, I, I mean, technically, I beat the game because I got the pig. That was my objective. But, like, the, the farm that I was supposed to bring the pig back to uh, was burned down. So, <laughs> and, and there's, like, a scoring. Hollow victory. Yeah. <laughs> there's a scoring system, and I ended up getting zero out of seven. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but those are the kinds I haven't, like I said, I haven't played too many, but like mm-hmm. um, I, I dabbled a little bit. Yeah. Martha? Um, I've played Strongbad's Adventure, of course. And, um, of course. <laughs> uh, and like Humongous Games, point and click kids games. Oh. Um, and I've played Tales from the Borderlands because I love Borderlands so much, mm-hmm. um, which was great because it was basically the story from Borderlands. Just the story, which is the best part of Borderlands to begin with. Um, so, uh, so I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, for me, like it's the same. It's, it is a niche genre, so you kind of have to like rack your brain. Like, there's not that many unless you're into it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the one I tell people is uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the text adventure from way back in '83 or whenever it was, which is a brutal parser game. And um, I played that when I was younger. It was old by then, um, mm-hmm. but I was a fan of that series. Um, so I wasn't drawn to it because it was an interactive fiction, <laughs> because I liked that I liked Hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a lot, and I think in the, this laid out in the co-op talk where people were asked what type of games they played. They would they would start out with maybe the one that really fit the definition, and then they would talk about like oh, like a point and click game, or mm-hmm. you know, a, or a choose your own adventure, like you know, visual novel or something, a little bit outside the definition. And so I actually would want to know, idea like when you when you ask people that, or when you hear that, like is that do you, when people tell you the long list of Telltale games they played, does that, or like, oh, I did all the narrative stuff in Mass Effect, does, does that feel like they understand the genre, or even a little bit? So uh, it depends on what they're trying to um, get out of the experience. So 
um, if they, if you want me to answer if they understand like text-based games uh, from the, what you described, I would say no. They're a niche genre all unto themselves. Um, they have like levels and cruelty levels, which I always plan easy because <laughs> 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 um, I hate going like getting really really far and then dying and knowing like there's no safe state and you go all the way back to me. You can undo. So something uh, for anybody who decides to run into play um, a parser text-based game after this, you can type undo and do the undo the last thing you did. I didn't know that until I played like my fifth. I was very angry. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I feel like those are good um, like uh, gateways into the genre. So when I hear people talk about um, games like that, they'll say, oh yeah, I love these games. I'm always looking for more. And usually I always steer them to more choose-your-own-adventure kind of like choice scripts and things um, like that. Where um, it's more of like novel format and you choose like your choices because I feel like a lot of people who play those games like that aspect. Uh, even though there might not be the fancy graphics and some of the more point and click stuff like that, a lot of people who went there for the narrative usually enjoy those games a lot. A lot of times when I try to, when I introduce them to text based games, that's really hit and miss. Because I feel like a lot of times they have, the puzzle element is really heavy and either you love it or you hate it. <laughs> mm. uh, there's kind of no in between there. But I've seen a lot of text-based games lately have a more narrative focus mm -hmm. and I play um, a lot more of those and um, if you go to the interactive fiction database which you can find tons and tons and tons of these types of games they have a cruelty rating and usually the easy ones sometimes are great long storylines and you'll know that you won't get to randomly die um, on the side of the street and they have to start all over again so that reminds me of uh, one of my friends was in the same coding boot camp that both me and Adia took um, and she did a, a game for her final project in that. Um, and it was a text-based game because it was just about the coding. Mm -hmm. And um, she was showing it around to potential like hiring managers and stuff. And they're like, oh, this isn't a game. There's no pictures. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so she had to explain like, oh, this is a text-based game. Mm -hmm. And they're actually a thing. <laughs> yeah. So It's kind of surprising because text-based games is kind of how games started almost. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the original one was like that. I guess technically it wasn't Pong, but the one that was made in the lab. I can't remember the name of it offhand. But like it took off really with text-based games mm -hmm. and a lot of the, a lot of a lot of the decision making and stuff is based off of that that we have now is based off of those things so it's kind of weird that people i mean i can understand it because we added graphics and mm -hmm. you know, everybody nobody wants to not have graphics but or most people don't want to have graphics <laughs> but um it's kind of weird that we've like almost divorced ourselves from our origin yeah and that was actually something that came up in the in the talk which is this idea of like is are text-based games, are they niche because uh, they're just different from other games? Or are they niche because they are not graphical, because they're not video games in the same sort of sense? And there was sort of an interesting discussion around that. As to like, what, what has led to the resurgence of the genre, right? Yeah. And um, like I was saying before, um, I think with uh, Telltale and Bioware, they started um, creating this, like, Narratives can be games too, because I know when I would talk to a lot of people before those came popular, they're like, well, that's just a book with choices. That's not really a game. <laughs> and so they would never classify it as that. But it has the uh, interactive element, and it does, um, depending on which ones you do, have gameplay mechanics in it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so uh, when those games came out, I feel like people are like, oh, this is really cool. I love these narrative games. And then when they started looking for more, the community was already there. They're like, finally. <laughs> people get it. And so they saw a resurgence. But mostly for the like, choice-based games, like choose your own adventure types that you see with Twine and Choice Scripts. Um, but for the text parser games, I s- still feel like they're, they're, it's more um, nostalgic. I don't, I don't feel a huge resurgence there. Uh-huh. Also because of kind of implication for um, different platforms. So playing a choose-your-adventure on a mobile is easy. Literally, you're just clicking on links. takes you to different places in, in, in the game and the story. And you move along your way. You know, have it readily available. You start on the bus. You open it up. You start playing the story. Right, right. Uh, when you have text space, typing on a phone is already hard. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you have to get it just right. I can just see the frustration when autocorrect messes up your, <laughs> your, your, your input. And you're sitting there and you're like, dang it. And you're trying to go in over and over again, and it just it doesn't play well there. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that kind of is its downfall. It's really a sit down and you know, and download the engine and then kind of play there. Although a lot of them you can play on the web now, so that's a, mm-hmm. a plus. And like, what would you say is the ideal format? Because you're talking about what the convenient format is, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, how it's accessible. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you were to decide, like. I mean, would would an interactive fiction on console make sense? Like, where where do you see it? Uh, where do you want it? Where do you want interactive fiction to go? So, uh, for me personally, I would like to see it um, marketed similar to how um, people normally get their books. Okay. So, um, and the reasoning behind that is that a lot of the um, interactive fiction um, that are very narrative based. Um, and don't really have that aren't graphics. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do a caveat. This is for ones that are strictly text, and there's no like kind of um, graphic or music mm-hmm. in the background, um, because most people are looking for a story. And so if they say I can choose this book or this book is a choose your own adventure game, and like oh that's cool. And I feel like with the digital medium, it'll kind of bring back those um, kind of like turn to page forty six, <laughs> do this turn to page. I had like Zelda choose your own adventure games when I was little, and I love those. And, um, there were Zelda ones? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did I miss that? There were Mario <laughs> ones too, I think. What? Yeah, there were yeah. tons of video games that came out with like different series of these. Like, And I was so excited. And one, I think, was like a three-part. We had to go get the other books to like keep playing the story. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then there's a whole genre for game books too, but that's, a, that's mm-hmm. an entirely different other topic. But I feel like that would reach its main core audience because I would talk to a lot of people and they're like, oh, I love this story. It'd be cool if it would do this. And then they go off and write their fan fiction. And I was uh-huh. like, wouldn't it be cool if you could actually kind of dictate some of how the story went? And people right. were like, yeah, that'd be so cool. And I was like, oh, let's say this story. And you really choose how the character goes. I'm like, oh, that's so great. I was like, oh, what if it feels like an interactive fiction? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel like if it's in a visible place where most people go to get narratives, sure. it'll do well. Um, but I feel like um, there's also um, on the web, you know, it's easily accessible as well because, you know, if you do it right, it can be mobile friendly. Mm-hmm. And you can also add um, really cool things. There's one, um, there's an interactive fiction competition that happens uh, every year. It's online and, and global. I think it's really just called interactive fiction competition in, in the year. So it, this year is IFCOMP 2016. And people uh, put in, you can go play games made from people out of around. And I think one of the really popular ones was called like, oh, dang it, I can't remember. Anyways, you played it. And um, you, you, there's a lot of links everywhere where basically little circles and you clicked it and it opened up like this encyclopedia of um, alien civilizations that were lost. 
And so you literally are going through and seeing the devastation of all these different civilizations. And it was telling a story as you click. But, like, it wasn't giving you any direction. You had to just go around and scroll around the page to find little nodes. And certain nodes would be lit up or not lit up to, mm-hmm. to see if they're filled in. Because magically, this um, encyclopedia gets updated. No one knows why. And so you'll read different stories. And you're like, and you'll come back later after you've played a bit. And you're like, oh, wait, this one's, you know, lit up. And you click that one. And um, people, we liked it. And that's something you couldn't do, like, in just book format. That's really a, right. a, a place to the, the space that was in. So I think there's those are the two main places. Console, I don't, <laughs> I don't see it there. Yeah. Um, well, I maybe, mean, they've already started that a little. Well, I suppose the Telltale games aren't. Yeah. So for the Telltale, it works well because you have the visuals and the graphics with the narrative, and that's mm-hmm. the only way that it works. Yeah, but, but those are more point and click. Yeah, but I, I can't see a pure text based. Right. For a console. Like yeah, it, yeah. It, it doesn't feel right. Typing <laughs> on a console just doesn't work unless... Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, if it was sure a typing one, space, that yeah. would just... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I could type with the Wii remote really good by the end there. I was like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Uh, well, man, there we go. We found our audience. <laughs> one man. Yeah. One man and his Wii remote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we're, you know, what else came up at the talk? Did any of you guys find really fascinating? Well, we had talked a bit about like the choices you make in uh, their or interactive fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it divulged to other games as well. But um, we, I guess we never ever reached a conclusion about that. We were really talking about which choices felt satisfying right. and le- at the end of at the end of a game or uh, when when you made a decision that ended your game was that choice satisfying and what made that choice satisfying to you. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I think it was a concept of uh, for a lot of interactive fiction games, there's the good endings and then there's the bad endings. And I think one thing I have a problem with are games that explicitly tell you that. Yeah. Like, this is the bad ending, try again to get the good one. And I feel um, that kind of takes away the player's agency. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to have to agree with you, Stephen, now I'm thinking about it more. It's nice to have the player decide what ending it is. So, as far as they're not being explicitly saying this is the bad ending, try again, and just give you kind of like an ending. And this is this is my ending to the story. I think that's great. I'd rather them be more satisfying personally. <laughs> so like um, if it's something that kind of like builds upon what I did and kind of like concludes there, even if it is an abrupt conclusion, but one that I've led myself to, like I know the choices that I did to get me here, and this is why this ending occurred. Right. Um, I love that, and I like games that don't kind of create a morality. Like this is. Um, this is what we want you to do, but you did this, and it's really black and white. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Steven, did you hear that? We have it on tape. Oh, she agreed with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're all just you're all in the moment. We'll make that. We'll make that your ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there's there's those moments in RPGs that everybody's experienced where they give you the option to go off and go towards the quest or just stay in bed. And not do the quest, uh-huh. which is really those are always fake choices to me because you're obviously going to have to do it. If you say no, they'll either make you do it or they'll give you a game over screen. and You have to restart and you end up being made to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those choices, those often feel like those are just fake choices. Yeah, me. those aren't real, mm-hmm. real actual. They're just like, what, what did you call them, Mark, when we were talking? Um, false choices. Really. Yeah, 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 yeah. More comedic, like comedy. Yeah, comedic oh, right. choices. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, there's some value to that. Yeah. Like in, uh, I can't remember what game it is, but uh, it's like a Wild West. You play a gunslinger guy, and your uncle in the beginning of the story is is giving you all your quests, and you can kill him if you want. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but he comes back as a ghost and still gives you the quest. Oh. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah, we talked about a couple of those comedy endings. Uh, there's one in uh, Batman, Arkham City, mm-hmm. right? Well, I didn't consider that a comedic ending. It was funny, though. No, okay, it was. Yeah, so if, oh man, we can't spoil things, can we? It's been a couple of years. Yeah, okay. So uh, listeners skip ahead 40 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> so in Arkham City, there's a, uh, you can play as Catwoman. And in, in one of the decisions you can make is Batman needs help and Catwoman can go and help um, him or just like leave the city and take whatever money she stole. If you choose not to help Batman, it goes through the credits and stuff, but you just end up back at that choice again. Right. Which it sort t- of it pretend ends the game. Yeah, yeah. Which it just it felt like a gimmick. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like a real decision. And I disagreed with you on that a little bit because <laughs> I felt that like that uh, that's that's what Catwoman would do. Mm-hmm. At least that's conceivably what Catwoman would do. And so it is a comedy ending. It's 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 fake, right? It, yeah. it just reloads your save as yeah. if you had it fell off a bridge or something. Right. But I thought that was a clever sort of one-time gag mm-hmm. that kind of worked for that story. Yeah. Right? I mean it kind of did. It's just it <laughs> to me I like I like to have the decision be final. Right. And so I, I talked about it. There's a few examples like uh if you guys have ever played Shadow Complex. Uh there's a so you're trying to save your girlfriend from the shadow complex, I think. I haven't played that in, in years. Um, but um, uh, there's an option once you get enough power-ups, you can like go back to your Jeep and just drive off and just leave her there. Um, but that ends the game. You have to start the game over yeah. at that point. And there are other examples of, uh, of choices like that in games where you like that is the decision and that is the ending you picked. Mm-hmm. And I like that because I feel like I consciously decided I'm just going to leave my girlfriend in this complex. Um, that that's because that, that feels like a real ending. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a fake ending where you can just reset or just load an earlier save or something. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. right. It's uh, have have your cake and eat it too, right? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you want it to matter a little more. Yes. And there was a lot of opinions on what on what choices matter mm-hmm. and what choices the authors force on you versus what choices they make for you. Yeah. Uh, really interesting perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I had the the same problem in my game uh, when I first started to make it. I was like, I'm gonna have the player choose everything, <laughs> and uh, quickly when I had to make so many variables and all these checks and stuff like that, I realized that um, it was a scope explosion waiting to happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we and know so, about that. <laughs> yeah, I pared it down right away. Where like there's certain archetypes that the character has that you can kind of fall into, but you choose which ones these are. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, there is um, uh, uh, there's one scene where you're talking to your mother, and there really is only like two things: you can either have her approval or mm. she can't stand you. And um, how I'm going to have that play out in the game is that depending on your relationship with her determines your backstory. Mm -hmm. So if you got her disapproval, you know, your backstory is like you always didn't see eye to eye. You could never have the same view. You've always had these feuds and frustrations. Um, If you um, have her approval and it's really high, she's like, oh, you guys used to always do things together. You're the best of buds. Mm -hmm. And then... um, if you're kind of middle of the road, but you're not too far one way or the other, you're kind of like constantly seeking her approval. You never know if you're good enough for her. Mm-hmm. And like that's kind of the narrative for that. And so even though um, there's only three choices you can have, um, there's a lot of ways you can get there. Yeah. So um, um, it gives the, <laughs> I hate to say the illusion of choice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I, I feel um, after like my sixth iteration of doing this, mm-hmm. um, uh, a little bit better satisfying. I know I'm going to revise it more, but. That's something I learned. And I, same with uh, gender. So I was going to have it where the character picked in the beginning and they could choose anything they want. Um, and then I realized later on I was going to have to create a variable for the problem and stuff like that. And the problem was I didn't want it to feel false. So like that, I want that choice to be real where all the characters would react 
depending on what you chose. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I want to do that in the game soon, but for the my first game, I felt that scope was too large. And so what I did is I got rid of gender completely, where we're so far in the future, it doesn't matter anymore. Right. <laughs> like you like and um the character gender is never addressed. So mm-hmm. you're never addressed by a gendered pronoun, you yourself. And so um you're either called by your name or, you know, ambassador, which you are. Right. And so I felt um uh, now when I play other games and I see like certain things like oh why can't I choose that in my head I was like oh I know why <laughs> <laughs> making games really changes your perspective on regular on games yes, yes. Yeah. and that I, that scope explosion is interesting because there's I will say like when you talk about those those two choices you make mm-hmm. uh, with your relationship with your mother you you uh, Adia sent an early version of this to us to check out and I I think the way you handle that is genius and it's interesting that you came to it. From a perspective of 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 scope and resources, yeah. rather than purely as like a pure artistic statement, it was <laughs> you had this big big thing. You wanted to do a million things, yeah. but you could only do so many things. And so your your act as an artist of picking what things to do mm-hmm. kind of honed you in on something that was astoundingly clever. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's. I mean, I I love those moments where I'm like, yeah. oh my god, I can't do everything I want. But wait, if I do the one thing I can do, it'll be even better. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. those are great moments. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, really good GDC talk, though, on um, uh, interactive fiction by the people, by Inkle Studios, okay. uh, the guy who did that. And um, he has some great things. Like, I was doing a stat system in my game. So, a lot of games usually have some stat system in the background that they're calculating. Um, anybody who's played Mass Effect, you have your Paragon score and your Renegade yep. score. <laughs> and, um, wait, Renegade score? Who has that? <laughs> I actually Adia, Renegade Adia for all my games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, and so I was doing a point system where like you got 10 points for this or five points for this mm-hmm. and you have like charisma and piety and um, intelligence and stuff like that. And quickly I realized it was very, how, scaling that again was going to be difficult because I was like, I didn't, I didn't want the characters to feel false. So, mm-hmm. like, you did something and, you know, this person hates you, but then this one thing gives you just enough points to make them love you. And having to keep track of all these different points in my head, yeah. it was like, that's insane. And so, in the talk, they, the guy who did um, uh, Sorcery and 80 Days decided to use a percentage-based system where um, each stat has two variables. Um, either, for example, your mother's pearl either goes up or down, and they both increase by one. Mm-hmm. And so, what you do is you have four different functions that have a check to see what percentage it is, either at 10%, 30%, you know, above 70% or above 90%. Sure. And so um, all I do is check percentages. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about percentages, if you like really disproved your mother, you're going to have to do a lot of good things to switch the percentage <laughs> in, in, in the other way. I like to describe it like you're in your last year of high school, you have a 2.0 GPA. It's going to be kind of hard to jump up to that 4.0. <laughs> lots, lots of bouquets of flowers on Mother's Day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Won't make up for the years of disappointment. <laughs> We got a lot of wisdom out of this talk, mm-hmm. and oh, you were a great you. facilitator and a great guest to have on our first co-op recap. Oh, thank you very um, much. We have anything else to to button up before we uh, close this edition of the Nice Games Club? I suppose just uh, another shout out to Co-op Talk. Or yeah, God, yeah. We should. I mean, you should come out if you can. That's right. It's not a private club. Mm-hmm. You can just show up, and if you want to facilitate, you can be on this show yes. to chat with us about whatever you want to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that hard, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it 
one side note, uh, for those interested in interactive fiction and narrative, we do have StoryForge. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Another glitch program. I think it's every third Tuesday? Third Tuesday? I think it's the last Tuesday of them. We'll have we'll it post. in the show yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> But anyways, they um, kind of a group um, around narrative and games and interactive fiction. And so um, I was able to get some good feedback when I went and showed literally just the first five seconds of a game, which is just the intro, yeah. <laughs> where you just choose your race, mm-hmm. I mean, species. People are going to want to know more about this topic and more about you, Adia. Is there any way they can find you online? Yes. So I do have a Twitter account, which I am now officially being more active on. All right. Uh, it's at uh, Adia underscore uh, ALD. Okay. And oh, gee, that's all my social media. <laughs> <laughs> well, check in there and you'll yes. hear more from Adia, more wisdom, as yeah. we have been the beneficiaries of. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's our show. So if you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club and your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or nice like us. It's incredibly important for new shows like ours to get noticed, so spread the word. Adia, will you spread the word for us? Yes, I will, on my Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things, at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing, send us your topics, and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host, as well as your nice guests, as well as all the links and notes from this episode at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.